0: Battered suitcases were piled on the sidewalk again. We had longer ways to go, but no matter. The road is life. Jack Kerouac, On the Road. We all carry suitcases filled with the flotsam and jetsam of our experiences. These satchels are that which is us. And we open them and share them in order to connect. Every road is an adventure. Every path a journey. Most Are mundane and normal some are quite peculiar i'm don hall and these are my peculiar journeys of late i have been spending two days a week my regular schedule is normal but then two days a week i've been working 12-hour shifts at the casino because we lost a manager and so uh two of us are kind of covering we're splitting the graveyard shift and i have never worked in the last year and some change work the graveyard shift the graveyard shift is you know it's like any other shift but the clientele is a little bit different and when things get really fucked up on the casino floor or in the neighborhood or at the hotel it's almost always during the graveyard shift the graveyard shift is from midnight eight o'clock in the morning and that's when things just i mean it's the witching hour i guess and things just get nuts so one night a sunday night um i'm in the cage the the where all the cash is kept and i am counting out my bank as the manager on duty during graveyard shift the cage is closed so the manager has to process all jackpots and has to process all check cashing kind of things. And so that requires that I have a bank of about $12,000 for the shift. I'm counting it and suddenly I see my security supervisor and one of the security guards that we have, officers that we have, run like full tilt across the casino floor in front of me across the cage. So I know something's up, I immediately drop it Put my money in lock it go outside to see what's going on and what i'm confronted with is a young black man his shirt is off lots of prison tattoos and my security supervisor is holding a large towel up against his neck and blood is everywhere. He's sitting in one of the chairs in front of one of the Buffalo slot machines in the corner and he is breathing heavily and he's trying to speak and while he's trying to speak he's spitting blood all over the machine and all over the carpeting. Turns out that uh, in in that heat of that moment it turns out that this was a young man that was obviously in some sort of uh, altercation with another group of young men those young men had guns and they were following him in his car he was in his car by himself and they turned off of i-15 they turned off i-15 and uh followed him onto tropicana and then opened fire on his car the car was riddled with bullets he crashed into a light pole the light pole was just across the street from the wild wild west and this young man had been shot in the neck in the shoulder and in the chest and was bleeding profusely from the neck he stumbled his way out of the car came to our front desk completely spazzed out our front desk uh, clerk because he bled everywhere immediately obviously my uh, my guys came in and they and they kind of tried to handle the situation i didn't need to be in charge because my supervisor matt was completely in charge and i know something I've learned as I've gotten older is that when someone needs to be in charge, I can absolutely step up. But if someone else is in charge, there's absolutely no reason to have two people vying for some sort of control of that situation. So I back off and I just look for opportunities to help my security officers. Well, it turns out they needed someone to call 911, which I did. Um, And I said that there was a young man on our property who had been shot Apparently, and I didn't realize this, but apparently our officers in the Las Vegas Metro Metropolitan Police Department didn't hear uh, that he was shot and there was no weapon present. They just heard gunshot. And so we did that. I called my boss. I called our, our our head of security, letting everybody know what's going on. He's bleeding everywhere. We call paramedics. So now I know that the police are on their way and they're actually on their way very quickly. So about three minutes later, I hear that the police are in the parking lot. So I go to walk out and maybe explain the situation to them. But they're in full gear. The first guy, has he's coming in with a shotgun that is like a multi-load shotgun. I've never seen anything like it, but this is some fucking military Terminator hardware. And he comes in looking like he's ready to shoot whoever gets in his way. And the rest of the guys are all guns drawn. They're ready to go. So I'm like, whoa right around the corner, no weapons present. Because I didn't know what was gonna go on. They come in, they secured the scene and situation, and uh, the young man was still awake. He, he had not passed out, he was bleeding, but he was still lucid, probably in shock in some regard. Paramedics show up, they put him on the stretcher, they check him out, all this kind of stuff. So you would think, at that point, okay, we've we've solved the problem, they've taken the man away, Um, But that is not how things work in Las Vegas. And it's certainly not how things work at a casino because we have surveillance. So the next step is that the police officers are demanding that we hand over their surveillance. But it doesn't work that way because our surveillance is run off site. We're a smaller property. So make some phone calls. We get that going on. Um, They are checking, uh, basically coordinating with our surveillance team on what happened. And that's how they pieced together exactly what happened, that he was shot on Tropicana from a car with several guns and then crashed into a thing and then walked in. So now he knows what's going on. Um, I don't actually know if they caught the guys, um, but I know that they had that information. This was about two hours later. They, I'm asking if I can get my porter to come clean up the biohazard, because there's blood everywhere and they're saying, wait, we have our CSI coming. So in fact, they do have CSI. It's not at all like the television show, but they come in and they take pictures and swabs and they've closed off all the parking lot entrances so no one can come. And when my graveyard shift uh, bartender comes in, she has to call me and I have to walk out and get them to let her to come in so that she can come into her job. And it was a little nuts. The funniest thing about that, this is a Sunday and sundays without sports and right now we're in covid world so there are no sports is an incredibly slow day at our casino we don't have whole lots of business we have some but it's it's a very slow day and in fact it was very funny because at some point during the day i was kind of wishing something would happen but i didn't really think about what that meant until something actually happened All right, welcome to episode 82 of Peculiar Peculiar Journeys. Thanks for listening. Um, This week has been nuts. It's been a crazy week. Uh, uh, Well, I mean, first of all, Disney Plus released Hamilton, and much to my chagrin, I really was hoping that I would like it. I did not see it when it came out because it sounded like when I listened to the music, it sounded like schoolhouse rock done by the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and unfortunately, I was not wrong. I did not like Hamilton. It puts me in a very small minority. Um, I just didn't care for it. I thought it was a nice gimmick um, it was very well done, but the music is not very good and not very memorable. And so, yeah, not big, not not a big fan. If you want to read what I really thought about it, go to literateape.com. Can't miss it. I like to watch Hamilton. Um, this week in Nevada, we uh, our governor Sisalak has decided our numbers are going up they're they're not really great things aren't going crazy here in Nevada but in Arizona it's going fucking ape shit and in Texas it's going ape shit and in southern California it's going ape shit so our governor shut down bars again the difficulty is that the casinos are still open but the casino bars are shut down so we had to go through sort of some Mechanations to get the bar shut but still run the floor it's been a little nuts that in addition we're still enforcing that everybody has to wear masks and the thing about it is I think people are just going to have to get used to the fact that masks are the new seat belts you may not like them they're kind of inconvenient it's not as much freedom but it is the it, they're gonna they're gonna be with us here for a very very long time and we just gotta kind of do that it's interesting because I've got a you know I run in I mean the people that I work with everybody is so they're having a hard time taking on the impermanence of the situation and i think part of the reason people are so adamant to not wear the masks is they just want things to get back to normal and they have not come to the grips that things are never going to go back to normal there's going to be a new normal and it is going to be living with disease uh, floating around because this is certainly not going to be the only pandemic but we're just going to keep Dealing with this, and that's what's going on. Um, I, I, you know, I'm trying to figure out why this doesn't bother me as much as it t- seems to bother everybody else. And as I thought about it, I think pretty much, pretty much only two things are like the fact that I moved around a lot when I was a kid, so I never really got a sense of. Permanence in terms of my home life or my school life or my friends, and theater, which is by its very nature the creation of something that is never going to be done again. It's completely impermanent. You rehearse for something, then you put it up for six weeks, and at six weeks, all you've got left are reviews, memories, and some pictures. But the actual thing you created has no sense of permanence again. It is, uh, it's like the Ray Bradbury. Uh, Picasso story, it is literally sketches in the sand before the tide. And that is something um, that has been, you know, the, like I'm thinking about. And, and I, I don't know how to impart that. I don't know how to make it easier for people. And I very much like to do that. Now, we're we're running into some serious uh, I, and I actually don't think because it's only about 8% of the country anyway. And they're mostly the people that, that use Twitter as an opportunity to scream and yell and over-intellectualize and bully people into doing what they say or not saying what they don't want to hear. Um, But uh, we've really been dealing a lot with uh, the concept of white privilege, the idea that Robin DiAngelo puts it out there that we're all complicit because we are white. Um, And I think there's probably, I don't know if there's any truth to it, but I understand the argument. Um, But uh, long before all of this. Um, but I'm, and quite frankly, I'd have to say before I was even really focused on really trying to be Spock and really trying to find pragmatics and practical solutions to problems. Um, I wrote a piece and i'm gonna I'm gonna share that with you right now. Um, it is really more about the facetiousness of this non solution, this secular religious solution to racism, which is to just assume that everyone white is culpable and That's just not, first of all, it's not realistic. Second of all, it's not pragmatic. And third, it's not true. A while back, I wrote a piece about my acknowledgement of my own white male privilege with the simple question, now what? I acknowledged it. Now I'm, I'm, I'm not only aware, but well aware of the privileges I've lived with in American society. I won't feel guilt for them as I had no control over being born in a predominantly white culture, which is scheduled to change dramatically in the next 20 years, don't you know? If acknowledgement of privilege is the first step, what are the second and thirds? I still don't see a pragmatic answer to the question. I mean, I see lots of hand-wringing and bloviation about white privilege and how oppressive it has been and is, but I guess I'm missing what I'm supposed to do about it aside from you know acknowledging its existence and my, my having it. I hear a lot of connecting the obvious privilege to the proliferation of white supremacy, which is like saying that all Germans were Nazis and all sailors are pirates. The logic behind the assertion is similar to believe all women, which is just as ludicrous as all women are liars. There's quite a difference between living with privilege baked into a system designed by others to keep that privilege esoteric, and the act of supremacist thought and open bigotry. It still feels an awful lot like admitting to original sin to the Catholic Church and being told to feel shitty about it, but offering no actual, active recourse to wash that shit off. The implication is that by no other connection than birth and skin color, the specter of slavery will hang on me until the day I die. If I was apathetic to the horrors of being black in America, it wouldn't make any difference to me. I wouldn't care. But I'm not apathetic. I'm not Donald Trump. I'm invested in the rollback or reparations necessary to equal the playing field for all people. Uh, I took a look at a series of prompts on Instagram and YouTube recently. Um and, and it reads like in like a religious indoctrination. There's no solutions, there's no absolution available. This sort of demagoguery is designed to create a permanent sense of shame and guilt in the listener. It is the use of solid progressive ideas to manufacture a sinner mentality in anyone willing to buy into it. Exactly like religion. You are a stained and evil creature, the cult leader insists. There is no way to wash the stain, yet you must acknowledge it daily. In your consistent reminder of how unworthy you are and how tainted your life is, you must turn to me, says the cult leader, and receive more subtle condemnation in the illusion of growth. The automatic response to a white guy rejecting this approach is that it makes me uncomfortable and I'm fragile. I'm anything but uncomfortable about having conversations. I believe that dialogue, rather than simply being told to shut up and listen, is the key to growth. That said, having a dialogue about sin with a religious zealot is a cul-de-sac from which there is no escape. So having dismissed the search-your-soul-for-your-own-complicity cult, my question still stands, now what? What pragmatic steps can I do to equalize this playing field? I ask because I want to do something that smacks of a genuine solution rather than get the branch from the tree and smack myself over and over. In my acknowledgement of privilege, I assume no responsibility for the sins of my forefathers as I didn't own slaves nor did I lynch blacks. I'm a beneficiary of a racist system but I cannot feel personally responsible for its existence. Assumption of guilt without the prerequisite crime is brainwashed mush. Let's assume that unconscious bias and privileged behavior is trash that needs to be carted off for the landfill. Now, not long ago, a couple years ago actually, working with the maintenance crew at Millennium Park, we ended up sending mounds of programs to be recycled. I asked them what they wanted us to do with the programs to make the transport easier for them. They offered no solution. We trashed them in the dumpsters and it made them too heavy. They complained. I suggested a few ideas which they found unacceptable. I asked for a better solution, nothing. Just not the dumpsters, they said. So, we stacked them clumsily on the pallet they came on. Nope, they hated that. I suggested a few other alternatives. What about a dedicated receptacle? How about we how use park trash cans but individual program cards so it breaks it up more? Nope, nope. I asked for a better solution. They came back with smaller dumpsters. Problem solved. I understand the meme that states privilege tenuously connect the dots to white supremacy here is a white problem for white people to solve. Is it though? Is it just a white problem? I don't think so. It's an American problem, no question. But the central idea of America is that we work together rather than work at each other. Certainly we have trash to carry out. The search your damaged soul and reflect on the damage is not a solution, it's a mantra with no end. I'm asking for a better solution. So what's a solution look like? No, no, no. But I think it looks like legislation and the enforcement of it. I think it looks like money pumped into the school system populated by black and brown kids. I think it looks like some sort of reparations package in the form of free lifetime housing and college for those with direct lineage to chattel slavery and Native American ancestry. I think it looks like substantive. Police reform. I do not think it looks like people already feeling shitty about things, flagellating themselves for ills they ultimately had nothing to do with like sitting on the side of a road in North Dakota and weeping openly at the genocide of Native Americans. I do not think privilege is lost or shared through manipulated deference. Everyone, even rabid Republicans and bigots understand that wife privilege exists, whether they acknowledge it or not, they can't miss it. It's like climate change and the fallacy of Friedman economics denying its existence is simply whistling at the monster in the room. It isn't whether it exists or not that is the issue, but what to do about it. Using the tools of religion to stigmatize people and to castigating themselves over an advantage they possess but had no hand in creating is a piss-poor strategy. And while it may seem to be a traditional male approach, pragmatic, tactical solutions are the only way this thing gets shifted so that we all share in the privilege, we all share in the power, and we all share in the equity. This goal of sharing power and privilege has never really worked in the history of mankind. But if anybody's going to make it work, it's got to be Americans. And that's the podcast. Thanks for listening this week. Um, it, it, it just continues to be crazy, crazy, crazier. And I hope you are finding an opportunity to kind of ground yourself, to give yourself some opportunities to relax And maybe get some perspective on things. I hope you are employed. And if you are not employed, you are getting plenty of subsidy. I just hope you're eating and sleeping and are sheltered. And my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, then you probably are. But take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. And uh, I'll catch you next week. This has been another episode of the Peculiar Journeys podcast. For archived episodes, go to donhall.vegas slash podcast to hear stories of Chicago, of Millennium Park, and of the big move to Las Vegas. If you dig the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and review the show. If you really dig the podcast, why not go to patreon.com slash peculiar journeys and help fund the endeavor. Whatever you decide to do, thank you for listening, and I hope you come back for more of my peculiar journeys.